What is philanthropy? Donations to good causes. The love of mankind. Preventing and solving social problems. Six-figure gifts. Giving of your time, talent, and treasure. If you ask a million people, you will get a million answers. And that is the root of many of the problems inherent in the philanthropic sector. If we are not on the same page about what it is, how can we expect to move forward towards a common goal? Hi, my name is Monique, and I am a BIPOC fundraiser with over 15 years of experience. I am Valerie, and I'm a white fundraiser with 10 years of experience. Each month, our goal is to dive into different aspects of the philanthropic sector from our varying perspectives to discuss how the sector can move forward beyond our current state to get on the same page and truly make a difference in our organizations and communities. Whether you're a nonprofit leader, a foundation manager, or a donor looking to evolve your practice, we're here to offer insights and actionable advice to help you move beyond philanthropy. Hello and welcome to Beyond Philanthropy. This is our first live podcast taping. So welcome, welcome. Um, if you are a, a regular listener, thank you for being here. And if you are a first time listener, well, welcome. And you are in for a surprise because Valerie and I are just like two crazy ladies <laughs> that will go off topic and on topic and all around it, but have a good time doing it. But Beyond Philanthropy is a podcast that's really dedicated to uplifting our sector and really bringing to the forefront what needs to change within our sector, within philanthropy to really uplift our community. And today's conversation will really be a conversation on community members and the inefficiencies in philanthropy and how we can move past exploitative practices that hurt and hinder those we're supposed to help and how we as a city, like this amazing city of brotherly love can really come together to do what Philly does, right? It's Philly over everybody. So how can we really bring Philly and the needs of our community to the forefront? So I'm Monique Curry-Mims. I am the co-host of Beyond Philanthropy. I'm also the principal and founder of Civic Capital Consulting. And I've been in this sector for just about 20 years. And this is my co-host, Valerie. Hi, I am Valerie. I am currently the Vice President of Advancement and Special Projects at Pathways to Housing PA. Gotta love that special projects added to it. It means other duties as assigned, basically. Um, and I have been a fundraiser for probably a little over 10 years now, um, always in Philly as well. So very Philly-centered in what we do. And going into our conversation today, I think we first kind of want to start Recording off, in progress. Wanted to uh, start off talking about what philanthropy is. Um, and I think the folks who are not working and living and breathing philanthropy the way that we are think about donors, um, they think about foundations, um, <laughs> a lot of times lately they think about GoFundMe um, and Facebook fundraisers, uh, but there's a, there's a lot more that goes into philanthropy than just those pieces. Um, so Monique, what comes to your mind when you're thinking about philanthropy? I mean, I'm going to go back to Greece, right? So philanthropy is the love of mankind. Um, and yeah, right? Like, I don't really think that that's what it is anymore. I think somewhere along the way, it got bastardized. And it's more like the like 
of mankind, right? Like you like someone enough to give of yourself money, time, talent, treasure kind of a thing, but not enough where you're really trying to solve the issues, right? So yeah, that's, that's what comes to mind for me. How about you? I love it. I, so we have, a, um, we have a little bit of a running joke on the podcast. When we talk about the issues in either philanthropy or nonprofits, my initial reaction is always, I want to burn it all down <laughs> and start over. Um, but it's, it's true. That's kind of the way I look at nonprofits philanthropy right now is I do want to burn it all down and start over. And it's exactly what you were saying. Like We're no longer looking at the root causes of the problems that our society is facing. We're looking at the outcomes of the problems kind of um so when you're thinking about like the ailment yeah like it's like solving homelessness like you're not going to solve homelessness just by giving someone a house like yes you are because that person is no longer going to be experiencing homelessness however all of the things that led that person to experience homelessness in the first place like poverty like unemployment like affordable housing crisis like poverty and health and and generational poverty and like all of those they're not going to go away so there's still going to be people who become homeless every day because we're not addressing the root issues we're just like well we can house this person which is lovely and that is what my organization does and I'm glad that we do it and it's great but at the end of the day we're like plugging a hole in a bucket that's full of holes right I would love to see philanthropy take a step back and start to address the problems that are leading to all of these issues that we're dealing with as nonprofits. So, you know, right now, our biggest issue, like we've, we've, we've got several people, but our biggest issue is that we hit 400 murders in our city, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was reading an article today, I believe it was in the Tribune about um, you know, there was a, a press conference and they're like, you know, what we have to do is just get these guns off the street. Mm-hmm. And unless you know where the guns are and unless you're running up in people's houses, I'm not really sure how feasible of a plan that is. But I also feel like, well, what are the, what are that like, that's the ailment of something else, right? Like that mm-hmm. is not the cause. And I know when, when the pandemic hit, I was having a conversation with someone and we were just talking about the, the unemployment dollars and, and the stimulus, right? And then people were getting the stimulus and they got that one-time influx and, you know, people were buying chains and just, you know, not being fiscally responsible, but doing whatever made them happy, right? Yeah. I myself was in, engaging in food, which made me happy. <laughs> I was <laughs> right? engaging all, in home improvement. We all did something. Yeah. But, you know, but that was causing an issue where now other people were like, oh, you got, I want or I can't eat, I can get that and sell it so I can eat, right? So because we're having um, unemployment crisis, like Philadelphia itself has been at what's 23% poverty for 20 years. Mm-hmm. All of the philanthropic dollars that have come into the sector, all of the nonprofits that are working in this sector, they're all just addressing different ailments of the problem, right? It's like you go to the doctor and you're like, oh, I've got this headache. And the doctor's like, all right, I'm just, here's some Tylenol, but really like you might have a tumor. Like we're not addressing the actual cause of the headache. We're just like, oh, here, here's some Tylenol, right? So beyond just, you know, again, going back to Valerie's point about people think about philanthropy as funders, but what about the government? What about our tax dollars? What about uh, the businesses, right? Like the businesses, who's, those are their clients, right? Those are the people who keep them in business. What is it, 
what is the responsibility of all of the stakeholders in this city to really make it better? Like, what can we do there? All right, I'm already going to tangent us, but so a couple episodes ago, Monique had recommended that I watch the show New Amsterdam, and there's the perfect example of what you're saying. So the um, rooftop garden that they wanted to build on the hospital, they got funding for rooftop garden to encourage healthy eating and like help with nutrition and all of that. But it was fun. Was it a cigarette company or a like sugary drink company or it was something like that, it was something like that, something that contributes to childhood diabetes, I think. So the, the guy who wanted the rooftop garden was so excited. He finally got the funding. And then somebody kind of like sat him down and was like, Hey, you realize though, that like the number of kids that you're going to be able to help as a result of this tiny project that they funded is like a tiny fraction of the number of kids who are going to end up with juvenile diabetes as a result of what this company does day to day. Um, and he was crushed. And I think he ended up taking the money anyway, because he decided that system's broken and he wanted to help the kids that he could help, which I think that's what we do as nonprofits. We're like, well, the system's broken, but I can house these people. So I'm going to do that. So we're just going to spend a lot of time on New Amsterdam. So and good last, show. If you haven't watched it, you should great, watch it. Great. Lots show. of nonprofit Especially when parallels. You're thinking about philanthropy and systems changes, um, which is actually based on. Um, oh, what hospital is that in New York City? It's actually Bell- based Bell- on Bellevue. It's Bellevue? based on Bellevue Hospital in New York City. Um, but there was another episode. It was during the pandemic and. Um, the patients weren't coming in for testing to get treatments and you were like, oh my gosh, we've got to do, um, you know, like virtual meta- medical, you know, visits. And they're all like, oh, well, most of these people live in poverty and in the projects and they don't have access to technology. So, you know, he went to his board member who sits on a tech company and says, we need all these laptops, all these tablets. And he was like, all right, I'll do it. Cause he's always asking for something. Right. Mm-hmm. And he gets them and then they're like, we don't have internet. <laughs> so it was like he didn't even talk to them right to understand what the solution can be and so I think the first part of that is really like not only just jumping like looking at the problem and not jumping at the solution but taking a step back and really talking to the community that's being impacted to be like okay what are your problems that are causing this other problem, right? Like, why can't you come visit us? Why can't you get online before just jumping at solutions? Which is also, I mean, it's always great, right? Like you you have a means you wanna help, but sometimes those means are rooted in a oppressive perspective that you just mm-hmm. remove you from what's actually going on. So when I think about what's happening, and I, and I don't have any idea of how to really do this, but if I'm thinking about what's happening with the murder rate, like, why are we not having conversations with these people in the community, right? And I'm not asking people to show up with their guns and be like, here's my gun. But if you're living in a certain section, I'm sorry, we're, we're, we're going to be on this, right? So this weekend, and even this weekend, a couple of days ago, there was a young lady who was murdered, right? Mm-hmm. She was chased down, her and her friends after leaving a club. And it baffled me that one, like, a group of men chased this woman, like what could she have done, right? Unless she's like mm-hmm. this hidden queen pen of Philadelphia, like what could she have done? And it just made me like go old school and be like, where are the, you know, where are the rules to the game anymore? Like they're not what they used to be, right? There used mm-hmm. to be a code and the code's like completely gone. And it just got me thinking about the elders in the community and how mm-hmm. there used to be a village and why is there not that anymore? 
right? Like let's mm -hmm. have those conversations, right? Because there's only so much we can do from the outside in. Let's really get in and be like, what are the issues? Why, why has this changed? What can we do to help support you? What does your block need? What does your community need? Because if we just go in with our own solutions, we're the murder rate has actually been going up every year. Mm -hmm. It's not even like this is like, I mean, the pandemic just threw everything in the world overboard, but our murder rate has been going up every year. And the poverty rate has stayed the same for 20 years. So that's, um, it makes me think though about now back to foundations, which is kind of one of those traditional pillars of philanthropy. Right. They're trying to get at this by asking how many people with lived experience are on your board or asking how many people you've consulted about the project that you're about to start or about the programming that you do and how the people that you serve are involved in the process, which from the nonprofit grant writer side annoys the crap out of me because I'm like, we know, like we know that what we do works. We talk to our people all the time, but having to like quantify that for you and count people on our board or write out all the different ways that we engage with our participants in order to make sure that we're actually meeting their needs frustrates me because I'm like, can't you just trust us to do what we know is right? Um, but however, on the flip side, there are a lot of white saviors out there who think they know and they don't talk to anybody and they don't have any idea what the community needs and they just kind of jump in and say that they do it. Um, so I know that's two sides of the coin there. So foundations are trying to push us in that direction through their um, character counts and <laughs> word counts on their right. applications. Um, but, it, and it's, I think with the Philly Black Giving Circle that you do a lot of work with, I love the fact that they are not supporting the organizations that always get the money, but like really looking to who's doing the work in the community. And I would love to see more of the bigger foundations do that because it feels like a lot of the big organizations that are run by those white savior types who don't actually know what the community needs, um, they just kind of like write an answer. They're just kind of like, oh yeah, we elected one person with lived experience to our board. And I've lived that before. And it's usually like one person who attends one board meeting a year and has no idea why they're there. And they don't understand anything that's going on and they don't feel comfortable speaking up. But at the end of the day, that foundation or that organization can then say to a foundation like, yeah, got lived experience on our board. We are totally doing what the community needs. And it's taking money away from the people who actually know what the community needs. So um, I, I think the Philly Black Giving Circle is one great example of bucking that system, but there aren't a lot of people bucking that system here in Philly that I know of. No, um, I mean, we're, I mean, we're unique, right? And, and our giving circle was founded off of a report that came out in 2015 that just highlighted the inefficiencies in funding and inequity in funding between Black-led, Black-serving organizations and White-led organizations. Like they were always getting all the money, even though the communities weren't getting better. And there were all these Black-led grassroots organizations. And I even hate the term grassroots because they're only grassroots because no one cared enough to invest in them. They're mm -hmm. doing the work, they're serving the people, but because they don't have the big budgets um, and they don't have the big staff, people look at them at grassroots. So, nah. but I think the other thing is, so I sit on the board of another uh, foundation and I'm, you know, we're, and I'm in the process of redoing what our grant application and review process looks like. Mm. And it's a process, it's going to be a process. So we just started with like an initial one, but our big change is going to come in 2022. But 
one of the things that I was really adamant about, we ask all these diversity questions, but we really don't focus on that in our review process. So I really ask like, when you like, what is the diversity of your board, right? Mm -hmm. And of your staff? Second question, how inclusive is it? Because the thing that's also happening that people aren't paying attention to is, okay, let's say you serve a population that is in the North Philadelphia and it's you know 70% black and maybe 30% Hispanic, just quick, easy numbers. Mm-hmm. And your board is 77% black and 30% Hispanic, great. However, it's 70% black of people who are from the main line, who are mm-hmm. from Chestnut Hill, who live in Rittenhouse. And so you meet your diversity numbers, right? Because your mm-hmm. diversity is in alignment, but it's not inclusive. I do not live in North Philadelphia. I do not know firsthand the trials and tribulations that these people go through. Like I have an inkling, but that is my, that is my assumption, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to assume. Yes, I'm black and I'm a woman, but like, I'm not of that community, right? So we have to really focus on the communities that we're serving because they're experts, right? They are lived experience experts. It should be treated as such. So in your staff, on your board, on your advisory council, whatever you're doing, I told somebody the other day, I was like, you paid me to speak. I'm actually, I'm actually not even in Philly right now. I'm at a conference in New Jersey being paid to speak, but you pay me to speak because I have education and I have all this learned experience. You should pay them to speak, right? Because mm-hmm. you're learning from them just as you're learning from me. But I also think that, you know, the first thing that, that comes to mind is also all of our corporations and coming to town and getting their 10-year tax abatements and then having these really funky CSR programs or corporate social responsibility programs that really aren't for the community. And then they're finding loopholes to do it, but also just make more money, right? Because corporate social responsibility often lives within the marketing of the organization, right? Mm -hmm. So they're doing it as more of a brand exercise, right? Like how can we get our brand out in the community? Hopefully we'll do some good and those people will be like, I'm going to buy that product now, right? And it's not really like we're in an impoverished community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was actually one of the reasons why, unlike other people, I was excited that Amazon didn't get that HQ here because they have this history of going into cities and really not giving back the way that they should. Um, I mean, you look at his wife, she's doing amazing things right now and he's not even anywhere near there and he's the richest man ever in the world, right? So there's a lot of stakeholders in our communities, which is the point to this, that really need to come together to be like, if I'm living here, if I'm working here, if I'm building here, I'm not going to be as successful if you want to take it from a selfish viewpoint, but our city is not going to be as successful if we are not coming together. So mm-hmm. I know I don't know if any of the listeners or viewers, however this is working, right? But I don't know what your ideas are around how we can all come together. Because it mm-hmm. it also just baffles me as the largest urban city, right? Like if everyone just gave a certain amount to an issue and really put their voice towards a certain issue, like we could do so much together to uplift this city. So, you know, Dale, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Listeners, viewers, what are your thoughts? Throw them in the comments. Um, we really want to get into some of these. Yeah, um, and we, we do have time set aside for questions um, at the end of our session slash podcast. So definitely drop things in the chat. My brain is going all over the place while you're talking. So um, first thing, I have post-its, uh, corporate social responsibility. Amazon is a great example because they have the Amazon um, Smiles, Amazon Charity Give Back. That 
that's that's yo the very first time that came online and I was like so at that point I ran a nonprofit mm -hmm. and I knew how much I shopped that Christmas and I was like wait 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 and they're like no it's 0.005 percent I'm like you're not even giving me like a full nickel like are you crazy it's 0.05 percent and because the money is coming from Amazon and not from you they get the tax credit for giving right. that money. So at the end of the day, the 0.05% of what you spend that they end up donating to the charity of your choice, it kind of cancels out with the tax benefit that they're getting yeah. and all the non-profits. Well, whatever. Um, but, <laughs> and they get so much free advertising. Like I had a boss uh, years ago who was, would harass me to no end about making sure we're posting about Amazon smile on our social media feeds. And like, they do not need any more free promo from us. We have like 2000 followers on Facebook and they all already have a set as their Amazon smile charity. So like, why am I giving them free promo? Like, I don't, you know what? That is a, that's a locally, that's mm -hmm. a thing, right? So let's even talk about that. Like when you go into a store and they're like, would you like to round up to support? Mm -hmm. They're doing that same thing. They're now taking what you rounded up and just paid to give back and get a tax deduction for themselves. So mm -hmm. they're now giving out grants and scholarships and making donations to get write-offs. And they're all doing it off of the extra money that you just paid out of your pocket. That's yeah. crazy to me. Not only that, not gonna put people on blast, but there's a grocery store <laughs> everybody loves. And I think it's the most expensive grocery store. It's, it is. It, sometimes I hop in there, but I'm always like, it is almost twice as expensive as the grocery store that I actually go to. But this person does a lot of give back. And I'm like, but he's doing a give back off the backs of the customers because why is this so expensive here? Yeah. Right. Like you're like you're upping the price and you're rounding up the price to mm -hmm. do the give back to give the write off. And I'm just like, that's like you're making the people pay for their own help. Yeah. And the amount of time it takes for us to actually get that money. Um, the Amazon smile, for example, is quarterly right. and it comes to us late. So say you buy something in July, we probably won't see that money until October. So if you really wanted to help us, just give us the money, like just give the money directly. Right. It's the same thing about the grocery store. Like you see a cause that you like, that's wonderful. That $5 that you donated through the grocery store that they will get the tax right off for will not come to us for months. Or you can just give us $5 and it would go straight to us right now, cash in the bank. The, right off. Um, the other thing I was thinking, going back to kind of how government plays into this, when you were talking about um, grass, not grassroots, but grassroots organizations, right. um, the Philly black doctors consortium versus the young white college kids who got the, um, city contract to do, um, COVID testing. And then eventually the COVID vaccine, um, that was a huge, yeah, brain exploding, um, opportunity moment of, I think everybody to kind of sit back because the Philly black doctors consortium did apply to be the vaccine provider for the city of Philadelphia, but for whatever reason, the city decided that two kids who had no medical training, no medical history, they actually were still in college when they got their first contract from the city. Don't want to pull a race card, but <laughs> they were totally white dudes. They were white dudes. Um, they somehow convinced the city that they were more qualified <laughs> to provide vaccines and testing to the citizens of Philadelphia than um, actual doctors 
actual medical professionals who have been doing this in the community or had been four months at that point. Um, so the, philanthropy really does bleed into all aspects of life because that that is one area where that should have never happened. <laughs> should have never happened. So the, the, the overarching theme that I'm hearing across this is accountability, mm-hmm. right? Like how can we hold everyone accountable, right? Like if we are giving our tax dollars to the government, if we are giving our donations to nonprofits, if we are being impacted by foundations and the dollars that they're giving out and getting a write-off for, like how do we hold everyone accountable? Mm-hmm. Even ourselves, right? Like a great question. We're all, we're all in this together as much as we don't want to believe it, right? Like that young lady, she didn't even live in Philadelphia. She went to, she went to somewhere in Philadelphia and was driving home. You know what I'm saying? So like, it, we're too close knit. It, it, it's a big city, but it's really not. So what can we all do to hold each other accountable so that it's really is us versus everybody? I mean, I think the first thing is do your own research. Like, don't just see somebody say like, Hey, this is a good organization and say like, all right, cool. I'll give them think about it. Like, think about what you're investing in. Think about it as an investment and not just pity. I mean, I think a lot of times we fall into the trap of like, Oh my gosh, I feel so terrible for this person. Like I can help them. I'm in a better place. And it, it comes down to pity. And at the end of the day, like you want to invest in a solution. You don't want to just pity somebody for a horrible situation that they're in and give money because of that, which is is hard as fundraisers because we know that the personal story is what gets people to open their pocketbooks or open their checkbooks. So it's it's a very fine line of finding a way to frame this as an investment in a solution and not helping somebody because they're in a bad place. Um, I, but I think that's the first, like, you've got to do your own research. You got to like, look through the like glitzy social media photos to like, what's actually happening in that organization and who supports that organization, who works for that organization, who leads that organization. Um, like Monique, you said earlier, like you pull up the board of directors and they're in a majority black neighborhood and the board of directors is majority white might be a red flag, might be something you want to look a little bit more into. And I, and I get it. A lot of people are like, oh, but we need these powerhouse board members. But when you've got a board of 20, 21, 25, and they're all powerhouse, it's like power comes in many different forms and it's not all writing checks. So I think that you have the ability to diversify the power on your board. And I think that that's something that we really got to start focusing on. many different aspects. The elder in your community can do a lot more than the banker two communities away. I had a really good experience. Well, I don't know. I don't know if we can call it a good experience, but I had a memorable, (laughs) memorable. There you go. A memorable experience with that. Um, Starting at the organization where I work now, three years ago, um, I made sure to sit down one-on-one with all of our board members and kind of talk through like their why they joined the board, what had them motivated to be a part of Pathways, why they, you know, supported us, yada, yada, yada. Um, And it it turns out that many of them hadn't had that conversation before, which isn't great, but, you know, we were where we were. Um, And we, we do have a pretty diverse board. So a lot of them kind of said like, yeah, I show up to meetings and like, I don't really know what to do outside of meetings. So like, I'm happy to keep doing that. And but it doesn't really feel like I'm doing anything. And I was, and that's when we started to dig into like, 
well, what do you do in real life? What are your passion areas? What kind of skills do you have? Like what kinds of things do you like? And the more we talk to the board, the more we found ways for them to be involved or ways for them to support us. We have one person who is um, a researcher, like a, like a survey builder, like a customer satisfaction person. We send surveys all the time. We have like a standard donor survey. We have, um, we run the Philadelphia Furniture Bank. So every time we receive a furniture donation, we send a survey out to anybody who donated furniture to find out like, did we pick it up fast enough? No, we never did, but still we asked them. Um, and, and he reviewed all of our surveys and was kind of like, mm, these are awful. And I would have, I would have never known, first of all. And second right. of all, then he felt like he had a really like dialed in strong way to help us. So now anytime we do a survey, he is the very first person that we call and he rewrites them for us and tells us how to actually get the information that we want out of the survey. And that's, that's a huge important. skill. That's, that's I mean, an important there's thing. There's a methodology to that that is, yeah, that's a thing. And it's not in my wheelhouse. So being able to rely on him to do that for us, and we would have never known if I if we didn't sit down and have that talk and talk about like how he felt like he could give back through his board membership, we would have just never done that. Our surveys would have continued to suck. We would have never gotten any information out of them. And then he would have felt really disengaged and not like he was having a, making a difference through his board membership. Right. So I guess that is a memorable memorable experience that experience that was a yeah. good experience right it I mean good. board engagement yeah. is, is, is important but yeah I mean diversifying the power within your board and what power looks like I, I asked someone that question and they were like oh I'm like they're like yeah I mean we have some lawyers we have some doctors we have some I'm like those are all kind of at the same power level not, <laughs> you know that's not diverse right um but you know really really being able to be inclusive of your stakeholders is going to be important it's going to help and I think that that also means that we as a community have to get involved some way some shape and form right like mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be on this like oh my gosh I gotta volunteer every Saturday but mm -hmm. you know I make sure so I've set a tradition in my household a couple years ago that Thanksgiving is a family volunteer day hmm. right like you know, I'm trying to move past the fact that, you know, Thanksgiving is actually like <laughs> a yeah. day of brutal murder yeah, and <laughs> celebrating yeah. the extinction of, right? So it's now a day to be thankful and to give back. So mm -hmm. as a family, we volunteer. My son is now seven. My daughter is 15. Like they've been, we've been doing it for the last three years or four years minus COVID um, to give back. Mm -hmm. And you know, really being able to, to get involved and be of yourself. I mean, also, I think that, and I'm not trying to be religious here, but, you know, I was raised in a religious household and it was do unto others, right? Mm -hmm. And if I'm in a situation, what would I want others to do? And in order for that to ever come to me, if I'm in that situation, I need to be of service now. And that is, you know, that is my life. Like I live a life of service. I work with nonprofits. I consult, right? I give, I give back in those ways. I get paid for it, yes, but I give back of myself in those ways. Um, but I think that like we as a community really have to figure out how to come together where we can get involved, like figure out what that is and figure out like what accountability looks like, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there was an article, um, maybe it was like last week, again, around the murders that are happening in the city, maybe like Monday. And the fact that like several organizations got awarded some state money that mm -hmm. was around like 225,000 a piece or something like that. And 
they're like, oh, well, you guys are getting all this money. And it's just like, okay, so let's, let's really talk about what that 225 is, right? As a state slash federal grant, it is a reimbursable grant, which means that these organizations have to spend the money and then submit receipts to get the money back. Not only that, it's a three, it's a th- like a three-year grant. So it's 225,000 max over three years. Mm-hmm. What are they doing with that? Like, what are you really expecting for them to move? So that's $75,000 a year over three years. That's one, that's that's one salary. That That is is one person person with benefits. That is it. And you're expecting them to reduce the gun violence in Philadelphia with one person, right? Like we have to be realistic about what our changes are and what it's going to take to get there and really hold people accountable for what they're doing, right? Because now as a, as, a, as a government grant, the reporting on that for those nonprofits are going to be ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. How much have you moved with this money? And it's like, I really don't have any money. You yeah. really didn't give me any money to move. I can say what I did, but I know that I'm really not going to be able to make the impact that I want to make because you're not giving me the resources. So we need to figure out how to get the resources into the community. So we've got like 10, 15 minutes left. I'm not sure what's going on in the chat. James, our host moderator extraordinaire, like let us know, you know, what, um, what our listeners are saying or asking if they're saying anything at all. Um, but we really want to make sure that, you know, we've asked a lot of questions around what can be done. You know, we want to highlight them and talk to them. Yeah, we're not the experts. We don't have all the answers. So we got a lot of questions. What we got a lot of questions. Oh, Sway. I, I don't have no answers. I got all the questions, but yeah. <laughs> we got a lot of questions and we like to watch New Amsterdam. I think that is... Uh... <laughs> I'm really excited for the new episode because he just said he was leaving and I'm like... <gasps> Oh, I'm not all the way caught up yet. Okay, this is not a conversation over here. But um, I think think what I like about New Amsterdam, since we have a few minutes before the questions start to pop in, um, there's not often depiction of what we do in media um, as like as fundraisers, as people who work in philanthropy. And I also love how straightforward they are about showing the white saviory vibes of this um the main if you haven't watched it the main character he really just wants to help at the end of the day like that's what he wants he works at a hospital he wants to help people he wants to help people feel better that's a hundred thousand percent like his whole entire vibe and help them at the root right yeah like not just being like okay let's run this test and fix this ailment but like oh you can't get to us to get your medication. Let's solve all those problems. Let's solve your poverty issues so that you don't even yeah. have to come into the hospital anymore. Like he's yeah. he's doing with what nonprofits should be and his board hates him for it, right? Mm-hmm. But he's trying to put the hospital out of business. And he's not afraid to say when he messed up either. I mean, I think at one point he told all the opioid prescribers in the hospital they were overprescribing by 75%. So he wanted to see them one year later at 75% less than what they were currently prescribing. And they started taking pain meds away from terminally ill people because that was a lot of who they were prescribing to. And then when he found out, he was incredibly upset and they were like, well, so he told us to do. That's <laughs> what you told us. Told us not to do that. Um, so he reinstated the prescribing of opioids to terminally ill people who then couldn't get to the hospital to get their prescription because of COVID. So then he hired bike messengers. It's like, yeah. and then he got like a whole federal investigation because now they're like you're trafficking. But the whole point of that 
is like, not only did he make a mistake, but the mistake was that he jumped at the solution Mm -hmm. without talking to the doctors, without Mm -hmm. talking to the patients. He just saw, I think it was like the billings or something like that. And just the numbers, not Mm -hmm. understanding the story behind the numbers. And that is something that we have to figure out, right? We have to Yeah. Got to listen to the people who are actually having the problem, which circles back to gun violence in Philly. Like, are we listening like as as a city as a government are we sitting down and really talking to communities that are impacted by gun violence as far as I know because it's not you know happening. what's happening people are leaving mm-hmm. I had a girlfriend she was she like I've been talking to her over COVID and she posted on Facebook that she would be back in town and I was like wait you're be back in town when when did you leave town <laughs> and this had to be like March she was like oh, I love in December I'm like I've spoken to you at least once a month since then and yeah. she's like yeah we just snuck out of town like I can't raise my kids here and it's yeah. and, and that's a real thing right like people are scared and leaving so you have this city that can be so amazing right and it's got its history which is good and bad but like it's an amazing city, but because we are not addressing the issues that we as a city are facing, we're going to lose the talent that can make it even better. Yeah, I am seeing that with my friends as well. And it's we, we're such a vibrant and beautiful city. And there are some things that we're so good at. Like I always come back to when Gritty was introduced as the new mascot for the Flyers. And Philly said- what the hell is this? And then, you know, the flyers no, were like, city was like, what is this? Yeah, and yeah. now he's like, like nobody can talk about Philly, but Philly. Like yeah. that's the real thing. Right. Yeah. And we take care, like, like full disclosure. I am not from Philly. I, but I've been here the majority of my life. I'm from upstate New York. I came here in 2000 for college when I was 17 and I'm now 39, but I, and I'm still here 20 years later. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, 21 years later, but the, like it's those there's those crazy things like that that make it so unique like you know my husband's also from New York and I live in a giant's household please don't boo me he is literally <laughs> from Manhattan and I have no choice um, but I love the sports atmosphere here to be a Philly fan mm-hmm. is amazing like I just love the sports culture in this city right like we have so many unique things and I'm like you know there's the whole like Patch Geno's, neither one, you know, we're going out to D'Alessandro's, we're going, all right, there's, there's all of that when it comes to, I don't want to say superficial, but things that are more cultural, right? Mm-hmm. But why can't we be that way about each other? Yes. And like, even speaking of Pat's, like there was a shooting outside of Pat's recently. There, it was the second shooting. Oh, there was two, there was a shooting yeah. and then the other week it was like a beating like the guy got beat with like a trash can lid or something right yeah so like in one moment we can be such a community of like we are philly like i will never forget the parade after the super bowl and oh my god it was just like this amazing feeling like like everybody on the same page everybody rooting for each other everybody just like here and happy and joyous and then we turn around and like just don't care about each other like i just (laughs) You feel like that's the missing it's, it's like it's yes, it's a very like bipolar situation. Not to yeah. like you know talk all about that, but it's 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 interesting. And I just wonder if we really put Philly over everybody and like all of Philly, right? North, yeah. West Philly, North Philly, and that's the other thing. Where everybody's like, "Oh, where are you from?" 
like I'm like, oh, I'm from New York. And there, people are like, oh, okay, you're not from West Philly because and I'm really North Philly. I'm just like, but you're all one city, right? Oh my like, gosh. Oh, yeah. I so I bought a house five years ago. Um, and I'm just off of Front Street, like in between Fishtown and South Kensington, but my house is officially west of Front Street. So most people don't know where South Kensington is. So if somebody says, Where are you from? I usually say Fishtown. Okay. And then immediately you can tell whether they are from Fishtown or not, because they'll either say like, oh, Fishtown, I hear that's really cool and hipstery, or they'll say, where, where exactly? And if I say like, oh, <laughs> just off of Front Street, if you're not from it. <laughs> yeah. If I say like, just off of Front Street, they immediately are like, that ain't Fishtown. And I'm like, oh my God, I know. Like, I would have told you where I lived and said South Kensington, if I knew you were from Fishtown. I'm trying to like, right. code switch here, like work with me. Um, but yeah, we are a city of neighborhoods, but even if the neighborhoods stepped up and really took care of each other, yeah. which like we saw, I, I don't know, I saw a little bit throughout the protests, but there's a lot of division too in the neighborhoods, um, yeah. especially in, especially in it's Fishtown. A, it's a city of neighborhoods. It's a city of neighborhoods, but even if our neighborhoods stepped up and really cared about everybody, which is hard, like our neighborhoods are going through hard stuff right now. Like I know Kensington is in a rough situation with the opioid epidemic, epidemic. And there's a lot of like, there's a lot of passion from the neighborhood to make the situation better, but at the same time, frustration with having to live through this situation. Right. So it's, I understand, <laughs> but it's hard I, to love your brothers. It is. And, I, and I think that just to wrap it up, I feel like we can't do everything alone, mm -hmm. right? Like the way nonprofits work, they like no one organization can solve an issue, right? It has to be a collaborative effort. And even though it might be a community issue, um, those issues are going to bleed over. Mm -hmm. And it's in, in, the, in the neighborhoods and the communities that have resources, you know, even if it's like, okay, we're going to sit down with you and talk to you about what we got right to help mm -hmm. you, you know, get some insights, right? Like, mm -hmm. let, let's have those conversations. Like, let's work together. Because as long as we keep being divided, it's the city as a whole is not going to be uplifted. Um, yeah, we're no longer going to be the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. I actually am surprised we can still claim that right now. <laughs> some days we are that, and some days we are right. the opposite of that in almost every way. Right. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, because those two shootings or those two incidents, those were all um, out of towners, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, Ugh, the other towners giving us a bad name. That's another Philly thing. We're not going to go into that. Um, so just to just to finalize and kind of wrap us up, we're reaching the end of our time together. Um, we are so glad to have had the opportunity to talk with you, whether you are live in our audience today, which is an first for us. So thank you for being here. Um, or whether you're listening to this virtually after the fact, um, we, we do this podcast once a month. Um, we talk about pretty much all, all things philanthropy. Um, we do occasionally have special guests. So, um, if you like what you're hearing today and you're hearing it for the first time, you can find us anywhere you find your podcasts under beyond philanthropy. And, uh, I don't know, Noni, do you have final thoughts for us? No, I think you wrapped it up pretty well. Um, you know, thank you all again for being here. And um, what is our Gmail? Beyond Philanthropod 
Uh, I think that's our, our handle. Um, beyond philanthropy podcast was too long. Podcast. So I think we're beyond philanthropy pod pod, beyond philanthropy pod at Gmail. So definitely, you know, email us, right. If mm-hmm. you didn't get your question answered, if you have something to say, if you want to be a guest and you want to dig deeper into this, you know, definitely email us, reach out to us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, we're on <laughs> every social channel you can think of well we're not on TikTok. we're not on tiktok maybe someday right um because we want to keep this conversation going right because philadelphia is an amazing city and even though our podcast is very general typically we really want to be a resource to really uplift this community so you know keep listening and i think that from this i just got inspired to add a second monthly episode where we just digest new amsterdam so that might be coming soon oh my gosh right I would love that. Um, <laughs> so follow us. Any, we're streaming everywhere and anywhere you get your podcasts. We're on our social channels. Reach out to us and stay engaged. This has been Beyond Philanthropy. Thanks, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>